Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast, and we have a new platform this week for you guys. I am in the process of doing all sorts of stuff to update the podcast and and make it more easily uh, accessible to all of you guys. So first of all, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com, for sticking with us and providing us with the support we need to make these changes to improve the show. And secondly, I want to say thank you to the folks over at the UR Tennis Network who gave me the start with the Parenting Aces podcast and who have been incredibly helpful and supportive over the past almost six years. And uh, I'm sad to leave them, but I think this is going to serve all of us much better to be in this new sort of format. And um, so I would love your feedback if you're listening to the show and have the inkling to shoot me a text or shoot me an email. I would certainly love to hear from you about how this particular show compares to other podcasts you've listened to from Parenting Aces and what you like and what you don't like. So, I, you know, I rely on you guys for this stuff. I'm kind of a newbie with all of the technology, though I've learned a lot over the past several years doing Parenting Aces, but uh, still have a lot to learn. So that all said, I want to just get this week's guest on the line. We have with us again this week, John Falbo, and John and I are continuing our conversations. I think this is number six. Five, six, I don't know. I've lost count, but um, I'm sure John knows, and I'm going to go ahead and get him on the line so we can start chatting. John, thanks for being with us again, and I'm looking forward to this. Is it number five or number six? Do you remember? It is round six, Lisa. Round six. six. Happy to be with you and thankful for you having me. Well, I'm so looking forward to this. Um, We are in the midst of the Indian Wells Tournament, and it's a tournament that I've been to a few times, and sadly I'm not there this time. But as you and I are chatting, my younger brother, who grew up playing tennis, played at Wash U and is now back playing as an over 40 in the various tournaments around the country. Um, he is actually at Indian Wells today, and I'm really jealous because Rafa and Roger are playing, and He's going to get to see that match, and I'm going to have to watch it on TV, but that's okay. Did he play at Wash U in St. Louis? He did. Oh, that's yeah, it's a tremendous school, too. Yeah, he's a smarty pants. So, um, yeah, but it's it's fun to kind of relive his college days. He had the opportunity to come watch my son play a couple weeks ago, and um, it was really fun for him to – you know, be at a college tennis match again and have somebody to cheer for. So that was kind of a cool deal. But yeah, we've been, there really... we've, we've been there a ton just for your viewers. It's an incredible area if they ever get to go. It's it's right in the, the middle, basically, of a, a little place called the Central West End. And a, a lot of people that aren't into chess, because, you know, my son had turned professional when he was 13. And that is the at this point, the chess hub in the entire United States, even more so than New York, and it's right in the central west end there. That's so cool. I had no idea. I've never actually been to St. Louis, and I never got a chance to go visit him while he was in school there, but um, I hear it's gorgeous. 
Yeah, fantastic area. A lot of nice little shops and places to eat and pretty eclectic little spot there. So I'm you couldn't you couldn't go to a, a a better school number one, but also have a better living experience than in that little that that environment there. It's it's pretty cool. Neat, neat. Well, let's jump into the meat of our conversation today because you know you and I we seem to blow through an hour pretty quickly, and the topic I I really want to tackle today, kind of the overarching topic is what needs to happen to boost popularity of tennis in this country. And as I mentioned, Indian Wells is going on as you and I are talking today. And, you know, I watch on TV and I have been there. And while the marquee matches pack the stadiums, there are a lot of empty seats uh, at tennis matches all over the place, at college matches, at these professional tournaments, and it's just really sad to me as somebody who loves the game, and, and I'm sure to you as well. There are a lot of roadblocks, it seems, to growing the game and increasing the popularity of the game. And I would love to just kind of pick your brain, John, and hear what you have to say about that. Well, and as you know, I don't let anybody pick my brain, but our conversations reveal so much and they and they um you you provide you contribute so much first of all with with your thought process and the first thing that comes to my mind is a a mentality uh and uh, to give a specific example this past weekend the KU women have gone from virtual obscurity they were like not even in the not even close to the top 100 in the NCAA division 1 rankings and now they've been for two weeks, they've been about 14, 15 in the country after three or four years of very hard work um, by Todd Chapman and Caroline Lilly. And I practice with them uh, many times a week. I help them as I can, um, you know, in the midst of me doing my own thing and, att- and tending to my own goals. But they played, they played uh, two duels this weekend. And they played uh, Texas Christian University, TCU, it was Big 12, and then they played Texas Tech. And Texas Tech, I believe, was either five or six in the country at the time. Okay? So in this first match, and this speaks to your idea of obstacles, okay? Now, you know from our past conversations and my Facebook posts, et cetera, that these, a lot of these umpires, there are some very good ones, but a lot of them don't know their butt from a hole in the ground. And that's the e- that's a vulgar way to say it, but it's the easiest, simplest way to convey it. They don't know what's going on in terms of the rules. Now, you know me. I got a copy of the rules in my pocket at all times. And not only that, but I got one or two different uh, sports-related attorneys on speed dial at all times. So they're not catching me sleeping ever. And so we're at this we're we're at this duel and Paul, my son, is with me because I want him to experience competition. And in the first duel against TCU, the head umpire looks up at me about fifteen minutes after we get there and I'm cheering, I'm doing my own kind of cheering, you know, and picking out weaknesses, making sure and communicating with the girls because fans can do that. I'm not a coach. Fans can say whatever they want as long as they don't curse and as long as they're not abusing the players, which I was doing neither. And 
she looks up at me from the court up into the stands because the stands run all six courts. They overlook all six courts. She looks up, points her finger at me, and says, if you don't be quiet, we're going to remove you from the facility. Now, most people don't know this about the facility, but that's been a pet project of mine for over 15, almost 20 years. It costs $10 million to build, and there's $10 million waiting in the wings, already accessible for capital improvement. It's six indoor courts. It's six outdoor courts with room for six more outdoor courts. It can house any event in the country in junior, college, or pro. That's the caliber of facility it is, okay? She's threatening to kick the lead financier of the facility out of the facility for cheering for the home team. Well, let me let me just interject at this point because I subscribe. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, John. I subscribe to a blog that's written by an official. It's a blog for officials. And one of the recent posts that, that he wrote was about banned phrases that the players themselves cannot use during play or else they'll get penalized. Players. One of them, the players, right. Now, and I know you're talking from a fan standpoint, but, but right. this, this feeds into that. So okay. the, the first phrase that has been banned is a phrase called that, that the kids say on it. So like when, when one of their teammates it's a great shot. You know, they'll yell, on it! Just kind of get them pumped up and, you know, kind of acknowledge that they saw the shot and whatever. Right. That's now been banned. That that phrase is no longer allowed. If a player says it, they are penalized. Now they are talking about banning the phrase, use it. And the way that phrase has been used at matches that I've been to is typically – if the opponent double faults, then the players will yell to to the kid who's been double faulted too, use it, you know, meaning use that free point, build on it, keep the momentum going. That's now being banned. <laughs> I, I don't understand. So I emailed the guy who wrote the blog, and I'm like, could you please explain to me why this is offensive? I don't understand what's offensive about either of those two phrases. And his response to me was basically, you know, I, I feel the same way you do. I don't get it. I'm just reporting what we're being told to enforce. So I'm not sure where it's coming from. Um, well, how does that improve the fan experience? Well, the, the thing that's offensive to me, is that my dad used to have this saying. He had several, as you know, from reading my post. But one of them is, you know, these these umpires and these officials and these supposed people in administrative quote-unquote power, which they don't have any power, especially with social media. They don't have squat. They're, they're a dying breed, and they know it. And every move they make is desperate at this point because 
it's it's like a it's like a uh, an out of date they're they're relics and uh the power of social media and people's intelligence and people being proactive and everything they do at this point is far too powerful for them if people will do what they need to do and my dad used to say you know that person's so tight and this applies to the majority of the of the official officials and and administrative people and and quote-unquote decision-makers about the rules and regulations, they're so tight that if you put a piece of coal up their butt, they'd crap out a diamond. And that's how tight. And you want to you wanna talk about this weekend, um, and it's the same kind of thing. When she looked up at me and said that, and she pointed at me. Now, what do you think I did, Lisa? Now, you know me fairly well. What do you think? I, you think I backed down and put my tail between my legs? Uh, I'm guessing absolutely not. No, I pointed back at her. And I said, you aren't going to do squat in front of 500 people? And she had her little red hat on, which shows that she's the lead official, which I could care less about. And... Then she shushed me, and so I shushed her. And then she got down off of her chair, and head coach Todd Chapman said, what are you doing? You're delaying the match. And she said, he's being offensive to me. He's being rude to me. And Todd pulled out the rules, which we already had prepared. He put them in her face and said, if you read this, and after that, you've decided he's broken a rule, then you can do something. If not, you can't. She sat right there. This is during the matches. This is while the balls are being hit on all six courts, except for hers, and her her courts having to wait on her. This is how stupid the whole thing has gotten. And so, but, you know, I'm putting them to decisions because I, I, know, I know we're correct, and I'm not – it's like coming into the net when you play – even if you get passed, even if you lose the point, you're putting them to a decision. And whenever you put people to a decision, you get data. And if you know what to do with that data, a whole new world opens up for you. And the problem so far is these screwballs haven't been put to decisions. People are afraid because what? You'll kick me out of the event? So what? You don't get my money for the event. Big deal. Or what? You, you're, you'll, you'll ban me for so what? You don't get my viewership. They're acting like idiots. They're acting like little uh, third grade, uh, not crossing guards, although that's one example, but little like detention disciplinarians with adults, you know. And so she read the rules. She looked at Todd, and she immediately, profusely apologized. Wow. She got back up. Good. She got back up in the seat. Now, you know I didn't leave it at that. So her her name, the whole match, was Red Hat for me. And so I said, yep, Red Hat, get back in the seat. Do your job, Red Hat. Allow the fans to do their job, Red Hat. And make sure you know the rules, Red Hat. Now, meanwhile, through all of this, she said nothing because I wasn't doing anything wrong. So there's one more part to the story. Bear with me. So 
the, that evening, Todd called me and he said, man, this is ridiculous. You know, the last three or four matches, these umpires are distracting our girls. They're interrupting the rhythm and the flow of the matches. And you're doing what our whole crowd should be doing. Because the guys a couple weeks ago that complained to the Big 12 about me that I was heckling and that I was uh, doing something wrong. Now, mind you, the week before they came to Kansas, their men's team brought out their girls' opponent, Arkansas women's opponent. They brought out their personal Twitter accounts to the matches. And they were reading their personal Twitter accounts to the girls' opponents while they were playing, while they were serving, while they were hitting balls. Okay? Wow. But I thought it was a creative idea, right? I mean, I, that, that borders on heckling, I would say. But, but here's the deal. They weren't cursing at them. They weren't abusing them. They were having good fun. They were being like any sports crowd uh, and even a, a fraction of any sports crowd. But then they want the Arkansas women's coaches, after that experience with their own team, they want to turn around and posture and say that one guy is being too difficult for their girls because I was mm. in all their heads, including the coaches. Mm. And so, so, so that night, Todd called me and he said, I'm, I'm putting an end to this because people keep screwing with you. You're doing nothing wrong. And as a matter of fact, everybody should be cheering like this. So he, he called the next morning to the Big 12 head of all officiating. And they had about a half an hour talk. This is just this past weekend. And this lady was completely understanding. They went over the rules together. She told she profusely apologized to him, not only for the fact that that his rhythm was being affected, but that I was taking that kind of abuse from different people, coaches and and umpires. And that day she had, which was a Saturday, she had a teleconference with her umpires that were doing the match that next Sunday, which was a couple days ago. So then we come out on Sunday. They're playing the number five or six team in the country. All the umpires have had this teleconference and been schooled on the rules and what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing, and they've had their egos put in check at this point. Not a peep, Lisa. Not a peep mm. from any – as a matter of fact, half the umpire corps was laughing at what I was saying. So – when a girl has a weak backhand, and I'm saying a tisket, a tasket, a weak backhand in a basket after every point, just to make sure our girls know, hey, hit to the backhand. Get them on the run on the backhand. It'll break down. Or when the coach at Texas Tech slaps the umpire's chair in front of the assistant Big 12 official, head of officials, assistant, he slaps the umpire chair really hard because he's, he's angry at what I'm saying, and he looks up and he says, are you going to shut him up or what? And they don't give him a point penalty for slapping the umpire's chair. And then his girl cheats one of the KU girls in the third set. He goes ballistic because the call is reversed. Then they give him a point penalty. 
which should have been a game penalty at that point. Hmm. So, and there's there's four umpires walking around, standing around. All of these people are being paid, Lisa. All of them. And I know. Half, of them, half of them are laughing at what I'm saying because now they've been schooled about the rules and they say, well, you know what? The guy's not breaking any rules. Now, mind you, on Friday night, the roving umpire, which was, it was like an unmarked police car. She had no, no, like, official attire on, no nothing. I'm cheering. She comes over to me and says, you need to be quiet. You're, in, you're inappropriately speaking. This is up top with the fans. This is not the same thing that happened with the chair umpire. So I'm getting hit from all sides, right? Now, right. mind you, I'm cheering for the team, Lisa. I'm not abusing anyone. I'm not saying – I'm not cursing at anyone. I know the game. I know more – with all due respect, I know more about the game. I've forgotten more about the game than everybody in that building would ever know. So I'm not going to do something that puts the team at risk, the coach at risk, anyone at risk. And when she said that to me, I was like, you know, you need to go read the rule book because you're the one that's inappropriate. So you leave me be, which she did. And then Paul actually saw her looking through the rule book. And when we were walking out of the facility after the girls won the match, she tried to say something to me that was nice. And I said, no, 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 no. You go learn the rules. Because what she did was look in her rule book and find that I was absolutely correct. Here's the point to this, a bit of a long story. When you talk about obstacles and barriers, how many people do you think would fight through what I fought through this past weekend? Uh, I don't think very many. So then what they yeah, do. Yeah, I think they'd leave. They'd leave, uh, and they wouldn't come back. And then the, you've lost a fan. You've lost. And, and at this point, at this rate, what you're saying about Indian Wells and these other events and this whole mindset, which is what we wanted to address anyway, they're driving away thousands of fans every year, possibly tens of thousands of fans every year, because they're arrogant stiffs. They've never done anything independently to really make money and they don't understand the real raw stuff, the real common sense stuff that you have to do. They're working from an ivory tower, and most of their mindsets suck. When you say they, are you talking about the officials? Are you talking about the governing body? Are you talking about both? I'm talking about, and let's not mistake that there are some very good officials, some, one of the guys here last weekend came up to my car as I was leaving, and he said, look, you're not breaking any rules. I'm not the lead umpire, so I'm not able to say anything, but you're doing absolutely nothing wrong. We appreciate you being out here and educating everybody. Hmm. So there are, some, there are some good ones. There are some good administrative people. There are some good people um, up in New York with the governing body. There are some good people down in Florida with the governing body. But the true fact is, the real fact is, 90-plus percent are either cashing their paycheck, they're sitting on their ass, they're not concerned with the benefit of the sport, 
they're concerned. They're not concerned with the business of the sport. They're concerned with their own asses and they're linear in thought and they're very, very narrow-minded. And if their livelihood was dependent upon something entrepreneurial like playing tennis is or like running a business in tennis is, they would fail miserably. I mean, it just, it boggles the mind, some of the stuff that goes on. And and your experience last weekend, I've had similar experiences, and I'm I'm not Mm going to go into them here. Um, But it's very frustrating. Another aspect of all this that I just found out, and, and I haven't, verified this so if if i'm incorrect in this i hope somebody will correct me but i was told that the new mega facility in lake nona doesn't have any backboards it's got a hundred tennis courts it's got apparently this phenomenal you know gym and dining room and all of the bells and whistles i haven't been there yet so again i haven't verified this firsthand i'm just going on what somebody's told me but apparently there are no backboards there shouldn't that be a staple of a developmental facility well it's it's a great point and i don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with how much the data collector play site costs to have installed it's ten thousand dollars a court. I can tell you that. I, I know that fact, a, unless it's changed. At a minimum, yeah, at a minimum, and that's that's maybe with a bulk discount. You know, because some of their systems can be from twenty-five to fifty thousand a court, um, and and you have a hundred courts, and I believe don't you have play site on most all of them? That I don't know. I, I mean, I know it's there. I know it's on the collegiate courts, the ones they're using, you know, to highlight the college matches, which I think is cool, um, by the I, way. And, cool you know, too, I think that's you, right. But you you make a great point. How do you, how do you on one extreme play site ready the courts and on the other extreme not put some backboards in? You know, it's like, it's like you, every person – that's ever been really, really good in tennis, and I mean anybody that's been on a world-class level has used has used some form of backboard. It could be a, a concrete wall. It could be a wooden backboard. It could be hitting up against your garage or a, a room in the house. You know, it's it's just a fundamental way to get your feel. It's a fundamental way to develop your accuracy and your concentration um, to connect your mind and your body and doing what it needs to do. So it's it's a tremendous point on your part because, you know, you can get all the bells and whistles, um, but the data is not going to do anybody any good if they don't know what to do with it. The gym is not going to do anybody any good if all the coaches are just mundanely with the times there's nobody really ahead of the times in terms of the fitness work um you have you have a number of things and these are things these are things that martin and i you interviewed martin blackman who's the gm down there and and these, these are things that and i didn't 
I didn't care for the interview, and I, I wish your listeners would listen to it in its entirety, and they can make their own judgment. And i tell you why I didn't care for the interview, and when I speak with Martin, I'll tell him this. It sounded like he was on a speakerphone, first of all, for part of the conversation. It also sounded like he had a bunch of papers on his desk and was, was doing like five things at once, because when you are engaged with somebody, you... Some of the things you said in the interview, and if your listeners go and listen, which I hope they would, some of the things that you were asking, some of the points you were making, the responses that were given were generic, sterile, and very uh, – they, they weren't engaged. When, when you and I talk, Lisa, you're the only one I'm talking to. I'm not doing anything else. I'm concentrating on you and your questions and giving the listeners everything from my mental capacity, from my intellectual property, from they're getting everything we've got. And if you don't want to do an interview like that, don't agree to do the interview. Because that's what's wrong with the players. That's what's wrong with the parents. That's what's wrong with the officials. That's what's wrong with everyone who's not succeeding is they're not fully engaged. they got too much on their mind. They're too busy. They're not taking one thing at a time, and consequently, there's no excellence. That's the only way you forget to put freaking backboards on court in the backs of courts or having a backboard station where you can work out. You've got to be too strung out and too unfocused on all kinds of other stuff where you just simply forget the most basic fundamental ideas. So I didn't care for the interview because it wasn't because of what you – you always give good interviews, and I will tell them this when we talk next. Don't do the interview unless you're going to be fully engaged because that's what's wrong with the whole process. You can collect your check all you want. I'm not trying to take food off your table. Collect your check. Do what you need to do. But inject some quality into this. Because like I told him on one of my Facebook posts, I told he and Katrina. I don't know if you saw that one that I did, but I was like, I addressed them both. And I said, look, you guys, you're going to deal with people. You're going to have to deal with people after you get out of the organization. And you can collect your checks and you can get your pensions. And that's fine. I understand that secures your family. At least that's what you think. And at the same time, you're going to have to deal with people after the fact. And if you're lying to people now and you're not fully engaged with people now, what makes you think you're going to have any damn credibility after you get out of this? So I think your your point about the backboards is well taken, and I think it's a, it, it goes much broader than the backboards. I think, once again, it goes to an overall mindset of being too strung out with too many things that really don't matter. Instead of getting down to Martin's, he's, he was a great competitor. He's, he, he knows exactly how players were developed. And, and a lot of it had nothing to do with the things that are going on down there right now. Well, I think that's been the case for a while. And, you know, I think he's made some improvements. And, you know, I, I do like some of the stuff he's doing down there. And, I mean, I, it's just – 
I continue to watch the sport shrink. I, you know, every couple of weeks I get another notice of a college program getting discontinued. And, you know, my heart breaks every time because now that I've got a kid in college, I understand firsthand what that means to these kids that have, you know, gone through all they've gone through to get to the place where they're good enough to play college tennis. They go through the recruiting process. They make the painful decisions about where to go to school, where to commit, where to spend, you know, countless hours of their time to give up having a, quote, normal collegiate experience in order to be a student athlete, and then to have that yanked out from under them because of what? Because of money? Because of lack of support? I, I mean, it just, it, like I said, it breaks my heart. And I feel like there's so many things going on that are shrinking the game. And USTA keeps saying that its, it's overarching mission is to grow the game of tennis. That's what it is in place to do. And no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, we're going to, we're going to disagree. And, and I'm okay. going I'm I'm to ask you to read the tagline on their on their thing. On their website? Is, is it not to grow and develop? Oh, maybe. And I'll when, pull it up. And, and, yeah, and we have to we have to define that because when you say grow, you're correct, but. First of all, the the develop part is like point zero one percent. That's that's point zero one percent. That's a that's a obligatory justification of their existence that they allot so much money to every year, and they whether it works out or not, they're really oblivious to it. And that's the truth from deep inside their private conversations. At the highest level. Well, let me just tell you, I'm on I'm on USTA.com right now. Okay. And the tag the tagline is nowhere on the website homepage. <laughs> okay, well that's par for the course. It internally it should be to grow and develop the game of tennis. Paraphrased. And that's what it should be. But the definition is totally different. I just explained the development to grow, okay, if if you put a lie det- a really good lie detector test on the really top people there, the code for that is the US Open. That's the code. To grow the game, that's ninety nine point nine 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 percent. A lot of these people don't even come to work until March in those offices in New York. Because March, April, May, June, July, those are the core months where they're getting all of the revenue for the U.S. Open lined up. And then after September, they go away again. November, December, January, February, if you walk through those offices, it's like a graveyard. And so when they say, when they say grow, they're saying, well, we're going to we're gonna focus on the U.S. Open because that's what pays all of our salaries. 
that's what that's what enables us to execute what I believe is a land play in in Florida, a nice place for their type of organization to throw off some cash and put it into into some land and some real estate <clears throat> because it needed to go somewhere because the U.S. Open is 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 uh, throwing off so much cash. And so they needed a place to put it. And, you know, I'm not going to call it this, especially on your podcast or in writing, but in old gangster movies, it's called laundering. So your listeners can determine whatever they need to determine there. I certainly would never accuse them of laundering money. We'll get that straight. But in the old gangster movies, if you made a play like that on land and and you you had to, to siphon off some cash, and put it in a place that was quote-unquote clean after you got it running off so much from one event. In an old gangster movie, they'd probably call it laundering. And when well, you got to put it in there, when you got to put it in there, and then the majority of the money, because 50, 60, even 100 million, that's not the majority of the money. So... When you, when you take the majority of the money and you're paying all the salaries in New York and all the salaries in Florida and, and really secondarily are the results because they've never developed players, they will not develop players. They don't have the focus, the spirit, the entrepreneurial bent. Every great U.S. player, they claim Lindsay Davenport, but Lindsay Davenport's family still was incredibly supportive of her as well as the people around her, the leeches. She married one of the leeches, you know, and John Leach. And, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of California people around her that were extremely supportive, individuals, you know. So sure. the USTA, they're not going to develop crap. They don't know how, number one, and they never have, and they never will. So their development is secondary to their U.S. Open prowess. And then the laziness gets there because when you when you're so focused on something like that if you're arrogant or if your ego is too involved you say well we're doing our part we're putting on the US open so everybody else should do everything else and and you know if the mindset was that lisa and they were communicative about that it would be more acceptable but when you have two or three or it's like Sybil. I don't know if your audience is familiar with Sybil and like multiple personalities, you know, out of one side mm-hmm. of their face, they're talking about development, which is totally secondary to them. On the other side of their face, they're talking about the U.S. Open. On the other side of their face, they're talking about growing community tennis, which quite frankly doesn't mean shit to them other than justifying all these little pieces, be it development of players, community development, all these little taglines and tag words that they use, all of it is to simply try to balance out what's going on on the other end with the U.S. Open and being totally focused on the revenue side. Well, so let me let me ask this question then because we've spent a lot of time talking about the things that are going wrong and really, I mean, we all we all know these things, you know, some of them or all of them. But talking about what's wrong doesn't do anything to make it better. So 
I really am very curious to hear your thoughts on what needs to happen at the grassroots level, at the family level. I mean, let's take it down to the, you know, to the smallest piece here. What do we as tennis families need to do to grow the game and grow support for the game? What do our local clubs or local parks need to be doing? What do local coaches need to be doing? What do our colleges need? I mean, there's so many facets to this that I think it just becomes overwhelming and and we tend to just throw our hands up and say nothing's going to change. So why put forth the effort? Well, I'm not that I mean, kind of person. You're not that kind of person. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, well, there's no way here. Yeah, there's no way that either one of us would bail like that. And I don't think anyone wants to bail like that. And if you want to boil it down, in my view, to two main things that people can focus on, um, first and foremost, the mindset. The mindset has to be independent. It has to be. When you start waiting for a government handout or an organizational handout or a government or organizational choice, you are screwed from the very beginning. So the mindset must be entrepreneurial. It must be with a fighting spirit. And it must be very, very, very independent. What is what? It, what can I do today? What can my family do today? Because ultimately, the individual and the family controls everything. They're the ones spending the money. So they direct the coach. They direct any marketing people. They direct any agents. They direct any tournament officials. They direct umpires. And instead of flipping it around and saying, well, all these people control this other stuff. No, the individual and the family control everything if they will take that control. Now, that's number one. And these these two things kind of go together. The, the, the second thing is once you adopt that mindset, then as an individual or as a family, you need to band with other individuals and other families. And say, look, what's going on here? What can we do? You know, we talked before about videoing just as one aspect. Mm -hmm. Take that across the board. What can we do about our tournament scheduling? What can we do about these umpires? What can we do about this administrative uh, logjam? What can we do about all of these things? And as they band together, then it becomes an enjoyable experience for people to bond instead of an isolated experience where each person doing something independent feels like they're attacked. And what they will find, each individual and each family, if they band together and say, look, we're going to attack this with common sense, we're going to attack this with an independent mindset and a fighting spirit, they'll find that those other organizations will bend to them because they have to bend to them, because they are the ones that are paying. Without parents and individuals, there are no tournaments. No one's paying to go to the tournaments. No one's paying the hotels. No one's paying the airlines. No one's paying the food. Without individuals and families, the seats at the U.S. Open are vacant, except for the bullshit corporate boxes, which don't matter anyway, because the only reason those corporate boxes are there 
is because of the fans in the first place. Because corporations ain't paying if they're not able to influence fans. So I think instead of depending on an organization or different, you know, the families and the individuals playing, the children, the up-and-coming players, all of the families and every individual within those families, they must understand they control the clubs. They control the officiating. They control the tournaments. They control the game if they will band together and use their common sense. So those would be... And become knowledgeable. And become knowledgeable. Because getting back to your, getting back to your example, the story that happened at, at the tennis match this past weekend, if you had not been knowledgeable of the rules, that story would have had a very different outcome. And I, I think and something funny, funny happens when they band, Lisa. When, when individuals take responsibility and families take responsibility and then they band together on top of that, on top of taking their own responsibility, a funny thing happens. Everybody gets intuition. Everybody starts trading and exchanging information. It becomes like open source, like Linux. On the computers, you know, it's like, hey, mm-hmm. wait a minute, there's a better solution here. These people are lazy, which is true, right? And you, see, but I mean, you, you see, but it's, but how many, how many families, how many families are involved in this sport, and how many kids are involved in the sport that have never bothered to read Friend at Court? And this was one of the things that I pushed and pushed and pushed when I first started ParentingAces.com. You know, I would post the link every year with, when the updates would come out. You know, make sure you download this. Um, print it out. Have your kid keep a copy in their tennis bag. You keep a copy in your car when you go to tournaments. You are going to need to know this information. And yeah. I, I would guess that only a handful of people actually do that. Well, I think, I think, you know, we, you asked what would change it. And I think, I think there's, there's nothing that's going to change it other than more people doing it. So, so if they don't want to do that, then my dad used to say, go hard with the money or shut your mouth. You either, you, hey, if that's your opinion, you want to place a bet on it? You want to put 10 grand on it? If you don't feel that strongly about it, then keep opinions are like assholes. Everybody's, everybody has one at this point. But if you don't want to put money on your opinion, then it's not a very strong opinion. So you might want to keep it to yourself. And so if, if parents aren't willing to do this or uh, players aren't willing to do this, then don't, please don't complain about the subpar mediocrity of everything. But I think what you will find, and what I've found, even at this match this last weekend, as we've used it as an example, as soon as the crowd saw that I was not going to buckle and that Todd was not going to buckle and that they were bending, the umpires were bending to our knowledge of the rules and our will, you'd be amazed. 500 people came alive. They didn't have necessarily the knowledge or the courage to do it before that. But once they saw the opening, they came alive. 
and you couldn't you couldn't stop them at that point. And I think it's going to be up to some influencers, some pioneers, if you will. You're on that road. I'm on that road. There are other people on that road. And there, as as we keep working at it, there's going to be a tipping point, if you will, where people say, hey, I don't have to accept the crap that I'm seeing on TV in terms of announcing. I don't have to accept the crap that I'm receiving at these tournaments that I pay my hard-earned money to go to. And there are other resources that are saying the same thing, and there are other precedents being set to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't have to accept this. I think right now what you're seeing is this, it's kind of a mass beatdown over the last 15, 20 years, taking away the men's teams, because that's the majority of the teams in tennis that have been taken away. And, and this, this, this kind of imposition, because I can tell you from very, very, very private meetings at the highest level, there are people that never want our generation to happen again. They never want Pete, Andre, Michael, Jim, Todd, Malavia, all of us. They never want that to happen again. And it's no coincidence that the rackets were changed, the balls were changed, and I don't want anybody calling me a conspiracy theorist because I function on conspiracy facts. I've been in these meetings. And if I haven't been there, I've had somebody there. I know exactly what's going on in the sport down to the letter, and it's no coincidence that the Europeans have dominated after our group retired. They were just waiting for our group to retire. And you look about that beginning of 2000, Federer didn't go on his run until mid, you know, between 2000, 2010, that area. And you look at Djokovic, you look, I don't put Murray in the same category. They try to, but he's so far behind in slams. He's a great player, but he's so far behind the other three, you can't possibly put him in that category. But those three didn't go on their run until after our group retired. And the changes in balls, court surfaces, rackets, were very much favoring the Europeans. And the Europeans know this. And, they, and with credit to them, they took advantage of that with their tournament setup, you know, there's, there's five tournaments a week somewhere around in Spain, somewhere around in France, somewhere around in Italy, you know? And these yeah, boneheads yeah. over here, these boneheads with these organizations here, not the individuals, because more individuals are starting to have events, but these boneheads with the organizations are trying to hamstring the individuals wanting to have events here, and you're lucky if you have one a week here. So I don't want anybody to tell me that there hadn't been a concerted effort to make sure that kind of thing never happens again, where you have Americans dominating the sport. And so there's been this malaise over 15, 20 years. And in order to overcome that, it's going to take an enormous amount of fighting spirit. And I can tell you that's there because a lot of our guys are, have gone into coaching, have gone into marketing, have gone into a lot of different places. Some of them are in real estate and finance, but they still have the same fire. And, and I can tell you, to a man, they're pissed off. They're not just, like, disappointed. They're pissed off because they know they're smart enough to know exactly what's happened with all the men's college teams being decimated and all the, all the pro events 
being basically siphoned out of the U.S. over into Europe, they know exactly what's happened. So it's going to take an enormous amount of energy, an enormous amount of creativity and vision, and it's not going to happen by by some uh, stroke of luck. It's going to happen by a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion, and a lot of hard damn work. Well, I hope to God that you're right about your cohorts and their commitment to making that happen. And I, I mean, I just, it makes me so sad when I watch a tennis event on TV and the stands are empty or I go to a college match and there are just a handful of people there. Or, you know, I, I get emails from parents talking about, oh my gosh, I saw one um, earlier this week from a parent whose child had been at a high-level tournament, and because there was a threat of rain, no rain had come. There were no black clouds in the sky, but some weather person somewhere said there might be rain coming. They decided to start the main draw matches at 2-all. And so That's the crazy. The semis and the finals of this tournament, the matches lasted 25 minutes. It's crazy. And it never rained. It never rained. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and probably a lot of that was because uh, the officials or the administrators didn't want to get hung up at the tournaments. They have no real consideration for not only the parents' travel, but the development competitively of the children as well. Well, they'll tell you they do it because they have concern about the travel. You know, they don't want the kids to miss another day at school. They don't want people to have to pay an extra night of hotel. But I have a hard time buying that one. But That's a load. Whatever. That's a load. <laughs> they, they don't want their week messed up because – if you're really running an event and you're concerned competitively with people truly developing, you know the more court time they get in terms of matches, the more play time they get in that competitive environment, the better they're going to be. So that just doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold any water at all. It's complete BS. Right. Right. Well, John, again, our hour is coming to a close really fast. <laughs> I don't know how this yeah. always seems to happen when we chat, but it's like we're on hyperspeed. We we cover we cover a nice range, but I've I've from from the time we first talked, I've loved our chemistry, and I'm so appreciative of you having me on and um, the format that you choose in terms of of quality questions. And then creating space for me to to fill those gaps. I'm I'm very appreciative, Lisa. Well, I and I'm appreciative of you taking the time out. I know you you have a very busy schedule, not only doing your own training, but overseeing your son and his his chess training and development. And uh, I, it's a lot a lot going on. But um, thank you for being on the podcast again. And we're going to do this again next month. I've already got you on the schedule, so I'm looking forward to that. We'll have to come up with some good topics. And to the listeners, if you guys have anything you want to hear us talk about, please shoot me an email or reach out on Facebook. John's on Facebook as well, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And 
devise our conversation of, around what you're interested in hearing more about. So we're open to that, right, John? Oh, yeah, and it's it's excellent, Lisa, because I believe as we continue to brainstorm and we continue to put this energy forth and we continue with the kind of effort that we're putting forth and everything you're doing and everything I'm doing, uh, you know the podcasts have been getting more and more popular. Uh, the views on YouTube have been increasing. And so as we continue to, to get in our rhythm and bring forth these real topics, um, I just I believe more and more people are going to listen. I believe more and more people are going to get their own ideas, and I believe more and more people are going to uh, get more enthused. I hope you're right. That is, after all, the goal. So yep. uh, we'll keep plugging away, and thank you again for, for doing the show again. And to the listeners, thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this month's conversation with John Falbo. Well, there will be more next month. And Please, uh, again, I would love your feedback on the new format and um, seeking out the podcast on iTunes. Hopefully that's all going to go smoothly and I'll keep you all posted. But, uh, John, thanks again. And to the listeners, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next time on Parenting Aces.